Welcome to the Intuitive Rising Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Brooks. Up until about five years ago, I was your average mom of three. It was after the sudden loss of my father that my life changed forever and the rising within me began. Since then, I've embraced my gifts and have stepped into my role as an evidential psychic medium, past life reader, higher self mentor, holy fire Reiki practitioner, and published author. In this podcast, we will talk all things spiritual and healing through a very grounded and relatable approach. I hope you'll continue to join me each week, remembering who you always were as we rise together. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Intuitive Rising podcast. I'm your host, Amy Brooks, and I'm extremely excited to be with you here today. Just turning the brightness off a little bit. It was kind of shining right in my eyes. I'm just realizing how yellow I am today. I've got my sunflower earrings, yellow top, yellow Volkswagen bus behind me, lots of yellow in my tattoo that I got a couple months ago. Um, yeah, yellow, yellow, yellow. Now I have that Coldplay song in my head. Um, okay, what are we here to talk about? It's not the color yellow. Although, you know, I do just want to quickly say, if you listen to September's energetic forecast, you will know that the color that kind of came forward for us in the month of September was green, which is wild because I've had so many people message me. Green is my favorite color. But that's not why it came through to me, um, you know, intuitively uh, for the month of September. I feel it had to do much more with the heart chakra and the heart chakra is green. Um, so, but I've had so many people message me and say, oh my God, like I'm so drawn to all things green uh, this month or as of late. I had a podcast listener, a friend and a a community member of this podcast message me and say, oh my goodness. So the morning that that episode aired when the September energetic forecast aired. She listened to some of it while she was driving to the mall and was going to the mall to purchase um, an outfit to wear to an event that evening. So there was like this massive event um, and she was kind of nervous and like, you know, a lot of anticipation about it. And she went to pick out a new shirt or something and she was kind of weighing options and she's like, this one or this one, this one or this one, this one or this one. And her intuition said that one. So she chose a certain color and she got in the car to drive home and she turned the podcast back on. And I started to talk about the color that was coming through for us intuitively in the month of September. And I brought through that it was green. And she had just purchased the green shirt over, I think she said black. Um, So I thought that was a cool little validation for her and for for I. Um, And, you know, if you're feeling drawn to a certain color, there probably is a reason for it. It's one of those things that have come forward um, when I do my, I do like mini monthly tarot readings for a group. There's a group of 16 that signed up back in like last, late last fall for January. And every single month I sit down and I do a mini tarot reading for each of these 16 people. 
And I've noticed in the last like three or four months, I've been starting to pick up on some things like colors and vitamins and foods and things like that. And there's been a couple instances where I've picked up on the color yellow for someone, for instance, um, and, you know, some, some guidance around like yellow things and, you know, um, maybe wearing, choosing the yellow shirt over the black shirt or eating the banana or the apple or what have you, and just kind of being drawn towards the color yellow. And that has come whenever I kind of give that guidance channel that guidance for somebody it always comes back with validation from the client like oh my goodness yes I'm actually like super drawn to this or I've been eating a lot of that it reminds me actually of one person that I do these mini readings for I brought through the color purple and she said and I brought through like specific things like I was like eggplants coming forward in my mind's eye and um something oh red onion I brought through and then she's like Amy this is so random but like I've been really drawn to the color purple lately I've been you know trying to surround myself with purple choosing the purple shirt or you know if I need something new and it's in purple I'll purchase it in purple it's also the color of Reiki right and this person is kind of developing that way interested and leaning into that uh healing modality and she's like also I freaking love eggplants and I just bought one and I'm growing red onions. And so I was like, okay, um, you know, but just little things like that can come through and it's so validating to a person. But all that to say, when you're very drawn to a color, just go with it, right? There's probably a reason that you're drawn to it. Your, your energy just wants to express that color. Um, and so for me, I guess it's yellow today. I guess it's yellow. Also writing on a yellow notepad. So all the yellow things. Let's talk about what we came here today to talk about. We came here to talk about the dark night of the soul. So last week's episode was all about what a light worker is. And I did talk and reference the dark night of the soul once or twice and kind of touched on it a little bit, but I felt, I definitely felt like there was more to talk about when it comes to this idea, the dark night of the soul. So I want to like talk about it. What does this mean? We hear a lot of people talking about it. Some people are like, I don't know if I've gone through that or not. There can be some conflicting messages. So I will share kind of my own experience in this as well as share some information that I found online. So the first website that I um, am going to direct you to that I'm going to be referring to today is from EckhartTolle.com. I'm sure most of you have heard of Eckhart Tolle. So the question um, in this article says, have you ever witnessed, sorry, have you ever experienced the dark night of the soul? Your teachings have been so helpful through this difficult pe period. Can you address the subject? And so Eckhart says, the dark night of the soul is a term that goes back a long time. And yes, I have also experienced it. It is a term used to describe what one could call a collapse of a perceived meaning in life, an eruption into your life of a deep sense of meaninglessness. The inner state in some cases is very close to what is conventionally called depression. Nothing makes sense anymore. There's no purpose to anything. Sometimes it can be triggered by an external event, some disaster per perhaps, or tragedy on an external level, such as the death of someone close to you. Um, or you had built up your life and given it meaning. And then that meaning that you had given your life, your activities, your achievements and where you are going and what is considered important and the meaning that you had given your life for some reason collapses. So I definitely agree with Eckhart Tolle's description here of a dark night of the soul. And um, in the Lightworker episode, that's kind of the, the, the path that I was going down when I gave my brief description. It's kind of like having a moment 
Um, it can be referred to as an ego death as well. You know, the ego is this voice in our head that we have so closely identified as us. This is our voice. The voice in our head we think is us. But something that not only Eckhart Tolle has taught me, um, and you know, my connection to my own spirit guides and to spirit in general, but also to, uh, my goodness, what's the author of the surrender experience. Oh my goodness. It's going to bother me. I've got to give him credit where credit is due. Um, I have all of his books, but I draw a blank in this moment, the surrender experience, Michael Singer. That's right. Michael A. Singer is the author of a few books, um, The Untethered Soul. That's the one I'm thinking of. The Surrender Experiment is another. So something that both of these people have taught me as well as my spirit guides is that the voice in your head is that of your ego, but it's not you. And something that Michael Singer um, you know, points out is you are witnessing the voice in your head. You know, if you're hearing the voice in your head, that little chatterbox that likes to tell you a story, right? It likes to, it likes to um, tell you what you are, what everyone else is. Um, you've attached so deeply to that that you feel like that's you. But who's witnessing that voice? Like if it's you, how are you witnessing it kind of thing? So it's an interesting, deep kind of question um, that takes you out of the ego and more from this objective witnessing kind of place. If the voice in your head is that of your ego, and let's not poo-poo on the ego, because honestly, a lot of spiritual spiritual practitioners will, um, you know, shit on the on the ego. But the ego is really there for a reason. It's there to keep you safe, right? I my spirit guide Matthew has brought through this specific example many times to describe my ego so that I can understand it. Cause I'm somebody that understands things in symbols and metaphors and story, right? That's how I really learn. And so my spirit guides have taught me this. If you can picture your ego like this exuberant or not your ego, sorry, let's start over. <laughs> if you can picture your soul, okay, who you truly are, the one that is witnessing the ego voice in your head. If you can picture that as this exuberant, adventurous, like, you know, just, just up for anything, two-year-old toddler at a playground, okay? That's your soul. And your ego is the mama bear, right? It's the mom who's like, oh my God, you're going to fall off the slide. You're going to play off the, you're going to fall off the play structure, Right? Not all moms are like this, but some are. And, and I, I can admit I kind of was like this when my little ones were really little. You know, that hovering. Like, oh my God, I can't predict what's on the other side of that tunnel. And so I don't want you to go through the tunnel because I don't know what's on the other side. So the, the mama just wants to keep her toddler safe. The ego just wants to keep you safe. So it has a purpose. It has a meaning. But the thing is, is that we have learned to identify with the ego and think that that is us. If you think of the voice in your head, the one that likes to talk smack about you or keep you small or making you feel like an imposter half of the time is simply doing that because it's trying to keep you safe. It's trying to keep you in a familiar place. It doesn't know what's on the other side of that decision or that choice 
or that change in your life that you want to bring through. It can't predict what's going to happen because you haven't done that before. So it will purposely want to kind of become that little bird on your shoulder, right? Whispering in your ear that you can't do this. Who do you think you are? Nobody's going to care, right? You're going to fail. Because it wants you to go, you know what? I can't do this. I can't do this because it just wants to keep you safe. And so if we can think about it that way, but obviously there's a need for that mama, for that ego to keep us safe. So we just don't go flying off the side of a cliff, right? We need to have some boundary. But if we can learn to kind of push a little bit and a little bit and learn through doing and experience, that's what we're here to do. There's got to be a balance. Got to be a balance between the ego and the soul. But I think the biggest piece is, is just like not fully identifying with the ego voice, knowing that you're witnessing it, you're hearing it through the lens of, I just want to keep you safe. I can't predict what's going to happen and not that it's your truth and not that it's not, it doesn't represent you. And that's the key piece. And once you've learned to understand that and you move through life with that piece of information and you begin to think about things that way, it does not mean that that voice in your head is going to go away. Sometimes it gets louder because it feels threatened. So I want you to know and to expect that when you work this way, when you adopt this kind of philosophy and you do this kind of inner work, all of that isn't going to go away. You're no longer just going to be unafraid of you know, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. You might still feel nervous. You might still have trepidation. You might still feel like an imposter. The difference is you can move through it because you, you're not attached to the voice. You haven't identified as that's me and that's my truth. You've begun to think about it as, um, you know, that barrier to push through slow and steady. Um, how this relates to the dark night of the soul is that when you begin to spiritually awaken and you begin to have this idea come to you like, okay, so my ego is not me. I'm something beyond this. And you begin to dismantle all of this stuff. Like when you dismantle your whole identity, if you've gone through your whole life, identifying with that ego voice and listening to it and holding yourself back from it and being its servant. And then one day you awaken to the fact that that is a barrier to be pushed through and that actually isn't your truth. You know, if you go, if you do that in kind of um, a quick accelerated kind of way, you very might well experience what some people call the dark night of, of the soul. Where the things that you did, the belief system that you had, the, the life that you built based on that identification of the ego. If you see through that, then you might look back at all your choices and the life that you built and you might begin to grieve what you didn't do, what you did do. You might 
feel like you've wasted time. You might feel depressed at that, you know, especially if it's kind of an accelerated descent into your, well, it's not really a descent, right? I think it's an ascent because you're ascending into yourself. You're rising into that. But if you, you know, kind of feel like you've just been pushed into it and I did, I felt like I was just pushed into this when really, when I look back now that I'm kind of moved through the tunnel a little bit, I can look back and see that my whole life was a series of waking up. But at the time, it felt like somebody was just pushing me through an unknown door down an unknown dark hallway that I'd never been on and I had no frame of reference for. Um, you know, and that's very jarring. I feel like the way that I dealt with that, the way that I coped with that was number one, I just felt very much as if I, I feel blessed because yes, that was happening. But at the same time, I was developing a very strong relationship to my loved ones in spirit, um, to my spirit guides. And so I felt that support as well. And that came in at the same time as I kind of felt like I was having that ego death. So I had their support and their wisdom to help me along the way. Some people, yourself included, may have kind of been pushed through that tunnel. And then as you move through, begin to realize, hey, I'm connected to my spirit guides, to my loved ones in spirit, to the collective consciousness, getting big old goosebumps as I'm saying this. Um, and then that relationship develops as you move through the tunnel. And that might be a more difficult way to go, right? Because you don't have or feel that connection or relationship right from the get-go. I do feel like my spiritual awakening, although in hindsight, like I said, I can see that's been happening gradually in steps uh, throughout my whole life. The really big push came, like Eckhart Tolle says here in his um, in this article on his website, through a tragedy, right? Through the loss of a loved one. So when my father passed away suddenly um, from complications of a very simple day surgery at the age of 60, um, that was the thing that triggered it for me, that made me go, okay, like I'm feeling his energy here. I'm hearing his voice with me. I, I know his, he's still here. So for me, that tragedy, that death was the thing to awaken me, um, to what I know now that death is physical. Death is not the end that we go on in some way, that the soul lives on. And it really just all developed from there um, in a way that like felt like it happened overnight. But I think it was, you know, it was, it was gradual over the course of my life. So it might be that, tra it might be a tragedy for you as well. It might be the loss of a job. It might be, you know, you're, you're let go, right? You're made redundant. You're fired. Um, it might be that you are, a relationship ends. Maybe your partner says they want a divorce after 25 years. Maybe you say you want a divorce after 25 years. It might be that all your children, you know, have flown the nest and all of a sudden you're like, well, now what the hell do I do with myself? Who the hell am I? There could be a variety of situations that happen that kind of shake you to your core. 
right? Because if we identify, if we identify with our ego and we also identify um, with the, the roles that we play, the, the, the relationships that we have, we, we identify as a society with, um, you know, maybe our level of education, the job that we have, our relationship status, our economic status, things like this, these become part of us, right? Like maybe somebody that um, has a lot of money or a really good job might have this heightened sense of self, like I am better than the person, you know, that's, that's sleeping in the tent on the corner because they've identified so much with their ego and with their role and their, you know, their, their jobs and such versus who they really are at a soul. And so, you know, if you're identifying that way and then your relationship ends or your kids, you know, all move out and you're just mom or just dad at home and you're like, well, who am I outside of their parent? That could spur on uh, an ego death because all of a sudden you're like, okay, but I'm still here. Like, who am I? I'm not that anymore. If I'm not that anymore, then who am I? If I'm not that CEO of that company anymore, then who am I? And so it, it kind of brings you to this place. It invites you to that doorway, to that portal of, okay, let me show you who you are. But in order for me to show you who you are, you need to undo everything you think you are. Numbers are talking to us again today. I had 18, 18 and 21, 21. So let's see, that's nine. That's nine and that's three, three. Okay, I'm just adding the numbers up. So let me go back to this article and see what else comes through from him. Um, see if I can spur on something else that I want to share with you or a story with you. So it said, it can happen if something happens that you can't explain away anymore. Some disaster which seems to indicate the meaning that your life had before. Really what has collapsed then is the whole conceptual framework of your life. The meaning that your mind had given it. So that's basically what I just said. So that results in a dark place. But people have gone into that before. And then there is the possibility that you emerge out of that into a transformed state of consciousness. Life all of a sudden has meaning again, and it's no longer conceptual meaning that you can necessarily explain. Quite often it's from there that people awaken out of their conceptual sense of reality, which has collapsed, right? So it's kind of like the image of the cocoon, right? And that's not necessarily probably the comfiest place to be in that cocoon. But it's a necessary place in order to awaken and then become that butterfly, right? That's why the butterfly is, you know, symbolically probably across all cultures um, attached to the meaning of transformation because we must go into that dark place to wake up to the real authentic um, sense of self, to figure out who we are outside of all of these roles we play and these, um, you know, meanings that we've attached to us and our life. And so when something comes to, you know, the, when the shit hits the fan and no longer can you identify as that job or as that role, as that spouse, 
and you have to learn who you are, right? You have to go through that dark process of figuring it out. That's what the dark night of the soul is. And it sounds like a scary thing, but now that I've been through it, and by the way, I feel like this is a continual thing. It's kind of like the spiritual journey. It's not like one person just like goes through the spiritual, their spiritual awakening and then forever is this enlightened being. I'll go on record um, based on my opinion and based on my what I've learned from my own connection to spirit. If, if any human, you know, like in this lifetime right now in this incarnation was enlightened, fully enlightened, they wouldn't need to be human anymore, right? If you're here on this planet, if you're incarnating as a human, you still have work to do, right? So myself included. So we can, we can do the thing. We can do all the healing. We can do all the work. We can have all these opinions. We can have all these beliefs, but the job is not done, right? We still are going to have challenges. We're still going to have moments where uh, not only do we have to talk the talk, but we have to walk the walk. That's something that my spirit guide, Matthew, gives me all the time. He says, Amy, I want you to teach this. I want you to share that information. But in order for you to really get that, you're going to have to go through that too, Right? You're going to have to go through that feeling. You're going to have to go through that dark night of the soul. You're going to have to go through the anxiety and the feeling, the dense energy, so that you can really understand what it means to be a light worker, to be in service of spirit, to be in service to your own spirit. So let's continue with this article from Eckhart Tolle. They awaken into something deeper, which is no longer based on concepts in your mind, a deeper sense of purpose or connectedness with a greater life that is not dependent on explanations or anything conceptual any longer. It's a kind of rebirth. The dark night of the soul is a kind of death that you die. But what dies in is the ego, eo, I don't know how to say this, ego, ego sense of self. It was E-G-O. I see, but I don't know how to pronounce that in this moment of time. Of course, death is always painful, but nothing real has actually died there. Just the illusion identity. Now, it's probably the case that some people who've gone through this transformation realize that they no longer, realize that they had to go through it in order to bring out about a spiritual awakening. Yes, that's what I just spoke about. Absolutely. Often it is part of the awakening process, the death of the old self and the birth of the true self. Absolutely. You are meant to arrive at a place of conceptual, conceptual meaningless. I love this statement. Let's break it down for a moment. Conceptual meaningless. Meaninglessness, rather. Conceptual meaninglessness. So, if you think of yourself as the soul who's come here to live... An experience. If you think of life as a choose-your-own-adventure story, if we are creating what we experience, and I don't necessarily mean just in this lifetime, okay? So I, this is not meant to, um, you know, call someone out because you know I, I've heard so many people, and I've experienced this too myself years ago when I would hear something like this. If somebody said, "Okay, but like everything that you've experienced in life is from your creation." And I'd feel kind of triggered like, okay, so I wanted to experience that trauma or that abuse. What? That makes no sense. But to a soul 
it does to some degree, you know, um, the soul needs to learn and experience things that that does not excuse abusive behavior of someone else. I think that's where I'll leave that thought because I don't know how to, how far to go with it. But what I am saying is that when you do go through this dark night of the soul and you do begin to have, um, see life through this lens, through this kind of conceptual meaninglessness, you may begin to see how, like if you don't identify so much with the self, with, with the, what I mean by that is like with the ego self and you begin to see yourself through this very, it's very kind of esoteric kind of thinking. But if you, if you begin to see yourself as the soul who's just wanting to experience life, it, it might be a little bit easier to accept. I can tell you that from my own experience, I have felt more empowered and like less of a victim in my life, even though I've experienced abuse and trauma throughout my life. Some major things. This work, this dark night of the soul and the spiritual awakening has helped me identify with it less and then therefore feel less of a victim. I've learn to like transmute that pain and that trauma and use it to fuel me and to empower me. I'm seeing like a phoenix rising out of the ashes and that's not how I view myself, but I feel like it's a good image to convey to you because I know that you all have very likely lived through many a trauma as well. So conceptual meaningless would be like, when you're not attaching to that ego. And so it's kind of like the things that happen around you are not attached to you. Like when you allow life to happen and you're not personalizing anything that happens as being a personal, you know, a personal dig at you just life happening, right? This is very esoteric thinking, okay? I know it's difficult to kind of really grasp the conceptual meaninglessness. So he says, or one could say a state of ignorance where things lose the meaning that you had given them, which was all conditioned and cultural. Then you can look upon the world without imposing a mind-made framework of meaning. There you go. It looks, of course, as if no longer, as if you no longer understand anything. That's why it's so scary when it happens. Instead of you actually consciously embracing it, it can bring about the dark night of the soul to go around the universe without any longer interpreting it compulsively. And you just begin to think about it as an innocent presence, right? You look upon events, people, and so on with a deep sense of aliveness. I spoke about this on the episode last week about lightworkers, how lightworkers seem to have a reverence for all 
you know, the earth, all living things, animals and other people, because they see the aliveness and the life in everything. So there's no longer attaching to the ego self in the sense that I'm up here with my spiritual knowledge, you know, and somebody else might be down here. Some of you listening might be way up here. You might be at the same level as me, right? There is, there's really no hierarchy. And I know that, but that's actually freed me because rather than thinking, oh, I'm not good enough to share my message or to talk about things, you know, there's, there's no like, there's no kind of level to be reached in order to be valued. You just innately valued. You're, you're innately worthy. Your sense, you sense this aliveness through your own sense of aliveness, but you are not trying to fit your experience into a conceptual framework anymore. So it's kind of like surrendering, right? Which is maybe why that book, The Surrender Experience, experiment, experiment, <laughs> yeah, experiment came up for me because you are surrendering to life after the dark night of the soul and you're in your surrendering to the dark night of the soul. You're just allowing you're just allowing I think you know so often we get caught up in emotions and these are another thing that we identify with we identify with um, our roles we identify with um, you know the lives that we lived who we think we are based on the things that we have or the things that we've experienced or maybe you know um, our our family or where we come from and we've identified with all of that stuff and we identify also with our emotions so, so, so closely that sometimes we become victim to them or we become victim to, um, what was I going to say? Victim to our emotions or, or we identify so, so, so closely that we become stagnant, Right. So last week's episode, I kind of talked about this analogy of a radio and how if you just think about yourself as a radio and allow things to flow, allow the music to flow through you and you're just that kind of receptacle, right? Um, that then you are, you, you, if you allow that, right, and you're not judging the emotion that you feel or the energy that you're feeling and you allow yourself that time and then you integrate that information, you're then given the gift of what that was all about, right? Rather than go through life of like, why do I feel this way? And why am I feeling all this collective heavy energy? Identifying, holding on, judging yourself, trying to figure out why you feel this way, what you have done to bring it on, right? If you begin to think of yourself as that radio and allow things to just kind of flow through you, then the information of like what that all was all about will come. You'll receive that information. That's the gift, I think. Um, and there's a gift with going through the dark night of the soul. You know, it, it feels painful because everything that we've been taught, everything that we think is true, is standing on very fragile ground, if you think about it our identity to things, if we identify with like the job we do, the family we have, the family we come from, um, our, our economic status, the house we live in, the car we drive, the body that we inhabit and how it looks. And if that's everything, 
all those things are very fragile and they're ever changing. The body's going to change, going to change really quick, right? That car is going to stop working. It's going to fall apart one day. That job, maybe it's not going to be there forever. Maybe your money's not going to be there forever. Maybe something's going to happen. That role that you have as parent, as spouse, as, you know, daughter, whatever, may change. It may end. The only certainty in life is uncertainty. And I think that's kind of what he was talking about when we talk about conceptual meaninglessness. It's not to say those things aren't important. They are important. But they also aren't who we really are. And that's something that I feel like has to be digested in small chunks. I would love for you to share with me um, about your own personal experiences with this. If you have had experiences with this and how it has felt for you or maybe some kind of um, wisdom or something that you've moved through and you've learned through your own dark night of the soul. I can like really purposely in this moment, not purposely, consciously, I guess, can, can think it was just brought to my awareness actually, um, of like how I felt. And it's interesting because I've talked on this podcast before about things beginning to happen in my awareness, right? In my consciousness before my dad passed, like I was definitely experiencing things in the years leading up to his passing. But I think that was just the thing that went whoosh, right? Because I felt my dad's presence and his spirit so clearly. But I was taken back to the summer of 2017, which it was about 18 months before I realized that I was a psychic medium. Um, and there was a period of probably like three or four months where I was extremely low. Like I was, I would say I was depressed. Every day just kind of felt meaningless to me. It's not to say that I didn't love my family, my children, or my spouse, or my pets, but I just felt like I was just kind of going through the emotions, and I felt like I had been, you know what comes to me in this mind is drained of my life force. That's how I felt. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, that's, things just didn't really make me happy. Things also didn't make me sad. I just kind of felt flat. And it was during this time that things began to happen for me. I began to separate a little bit from my identity as, you know, all the things we talked about. Who, who, who was I really? Those things began to really come into my awareness around this time. And it lasted about three or four months. And then I remember it was just kind of like one day I just woke up and I felt better. And I know like probably there was some depression going on there, but I really and truly believe that this was a little bit of a dark night of the soul. Because of the questions that I started to have and because of the 
um, you know, the thoughts and the mindsets that I began to be interested in and I began to contemplate. It wasn't like I, you know, went out looking for the information or I went out looking to learn about consciousness or ego. I felt like it was being presented to me. And so I think that's when it all really began to happen, which is interesting because I hadn't connected that until this moment. And so it was just kind of small chunks over time of separating, detaching myself from all of, you know, who, who and what I thought I was. A lot of my detachment, like, yeah, there was, there was part of it in my roles and things like that, my relationships, but a big chunk had to do with my physical vessel and my body. And I found at this time I was especially down on my body. There was a lot of changes happening. So I've, I've had three children. Um, I've had four pregnancies, three, three babies. And it was around she thought the summer 2017, so my youngest baby would have been a year and a half at this point. And, you know, I did really well in that pregnancy. I, um, I actually lost weight in that pregnancy. I didn't gain anything. I ate really healthy. Everybody was like, I can't even tell you're pregnant. It looks like you're just holding a basketball, which is what every plus size woman wants to hear <laughs> um, when they're pregnant. But, you know, I had experienced in other pregnancies. I had like my face got really big, my hands got swollen, and I had kind of gained weight everywhere. But in this one, I did not. I looked like completely like myself, but with a, with a basketball. Um. And then kind of after his birth, my health took a dive. So within like a few days postpartum, I started to have um, some health challenges. My thyroid went haywire. I was diagnosed about six months postpartum with a autoimmune disorder that's called Hashimoto's. If anybody knows what Hashimoto's is, it's a, a autoimmune thyroid condition. So it's technically not that my thyroid was the problem. It's that my immune system started to think that my thyroid was a problem, um, and attack it. So I have, you know, flare ups and I go through periods of, um, fatigue and all kinds of different symptoms associated with that. And so I've definitely felt like at times, like a shell of the person that I had been before. I used to be a runner. I used to run half marathons. Um, I used to run, you know, 5Ks for fun every day. And um, all of that kind of changed. I wasn't able to do that anymore. I didn't have the energy level. Um, I started to gain weight every time that I had a flare up. So I would just like retain a lot of water. I still am retaining a lot of water. My face and my hands. Um, are, are full of, of water, um, retention. And at this point I haven't been able to figure out how to do anything different. The answer, the things that worked before don't work anymore, or at least not in the same way or the same timeline. You know, it's very easy to say you should lose some weight, eat better, exercise and drink lots of water. What if I told you that I do all those things, right? It's uh, it's been frustrating and and the reason I'm bringing this up is because these things really had reached ahead during this time period that I spoke about as well. And I think, I feel like I was detaching in a way from 
my body and the ideas I had about my body because I've been very vulnerable and honest and transparent in this podcast about how in my early years, really throughout my whole life, I've always had, um, you know, a disconnection from my body in a way because of certain things that happened with abuse. And, um, you know, I've always struggled with my weight and there's always been this very negative relationship with my body. And then in like my teen years, I lost a lot of weight and then I started to feel better about myself. You know, I was all of a sudden like not the chubby kid anymore. And then when I had my first baby, I gained a lot of weight and was back to being overweight. Fast forward to my late 20s, early 30s, I started to run and I got the healthiest and most fit I'd ever been in my life. Um, this size 16 lady that you're looking at right now, well, I got down to like a six. So I was pretty thin and I was all muscle um, and I could run like the wind and, um, I truly felt like on top of the world. And then I felt like all that was taken away from me with the various health issues that I had to deal with and struggle with. And I, I think that that really was what spurred this dark night of the soul for me is who am I outside of that? Oh no, I'm going to be that person again, you know, because I didn't know how to love myself in this body. I didn't know how to be happy because of the relationship I had with my body through the conditioning that I'd received, the messages that I'd received over my lifetime, including from my own ego about how I was not worthy or interesting or special or anything in the body that I am in now. And I can tell you the beautiful thing about my own personal dark night of the soul is that I've learned to accept myself because that conceptual, that conceptual meaninglessness that Eckhart Tolle spoke about, I kind of adopted that, that concept and looked at my physical vessel through that. So it was like, it's not that it's meaningless. It, it means a whole lot, right? This physical vessel, but it means a whole lot as it is, whether that's a size six or a 16, whether that is completely healthy, in good health, or that is dealing with an autoimmune disorder, right? That it's worthy at any state, at any size. 47, 47. Thank you, spirit. I just, another, another angel number. And so I was able to go through that dark night of the soul and through it, learn to grieve the body that I did have before grieve the, you know, just the, the freedom that I felt in my body at the time that came from being really fit and in shape. Cause I'll tell you running made me feel alive and I still do it once in a while. <laughs> I still do run for once in a while, but certainly not anything like I used to. Uh, I had to detach from that ego self that this, that I am my body, but that my body's only good when it's fit or thin and healthy. And I had to learn, I feel like through this health crisis that I was worthy through any state, any size, any health condition. And so that, and itself was a gift because if there's one thing I know, it's that 
the only certainty in life is uncertainty, right? And so my body, obviously, I'm getting older. I'm in my mid-40s now. It's going to continue to change. And I feel so grateful to have gone through that dark night of the soul because not only has it given me this insight into my own spirit, my own soul, my own purpose, my own worthiness, but it's made me feel free in my body regardless of what my body looks like. And that makes me want to get emotional and cry because that is something that I feel like so many people struggle with. And that's one of those things that, you know, has always kind of, I always would say that's my, my weight's been the bane of my existence. My connection to my body's always been an issue. And now I'm just kind of at this place where I'm like, yeah, I want to take good care of my body. I want to, it's not like I've given up on my body. I care more about it, actually. It's just that I, I respect it regardless of what it looks like or it's going through. And I wish that for you in your only relationship to your body. I know relationships to our bodies is one of those things I feel like so many of us, probably most of us, struggle with to some degree for varying reasons. And... This just this disconnect to ourselves and our true authentic self. When we, this is like this elusive kind of thought of your authentic self and people are like, what the hell is that? Right? Because we're so, we so identify to our ego. And if, if you know your ego is not you, who the hell are you? Right? What's left? And that's what's to discover through your spiritual journey, through your healing. It's like, who are you underneath all that? Who are you outside of your job, your body, your relationships, your past? Who are you outside of that? That's your authentic self. That's this unwavering, unchanging, worthy being of light. Who just inhabits this vessel, this personality for a short time. So I'm wishing you all love and peace and compassion as you navigate your own spiritual journey. I'd love to hear from you about how you navigated this situation or if you're going through this now. Maybe you need a little support. If you need a little support on your own journey, please consider joining my free, inclusive, safe um, community Facebook page. It is called the Intuitive Rising Community and it is created for listeners just like you. So if you're interested in that and you have Facebook, you can hop on over there. It's a private group. So um, you can, if you search for it, you will find it, but you won't be able to see what's going on in there unless you request to join. I wish you all the best. I hope you have a beautiful day wherever you're listening, wherever you are in the world. And I will see you next time. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Intuitive Rising podcast. If you would like to continue the chats and join a group of like-minded souls on their own spiritual journey, please request to join the Intuitive Rising community over on Facebook. All are welcome. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star rating. If you'd like to connect with me directly, please visit my website at theintuitiverising.com.